Um, if you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 16 in your Bibles, if you have one, that would be great. We've been looking over the last um, several months when I've been preaching at the story of Abraham, or Abraham as he's still known at the moment in the, in the story. And uh, it's been a, a very up and down kind of life for Abraham so far. Um, you know, often we get the wrong idea of these Old Testament characters people who we read about in the Bible. We talk about them as though they're heroes of the faith and and they are people who God commends and talks about their faith and we often read about that in uh, passages like uh, the the Hebrews chapter 11. Um, But we often think, well, they're people that we could never live up to. They're people that we could never be like. Well, in some ways, we wouldn't want to be like them. Uh, We wouldn't always want to copy the things that they did because they did mess things up quite a lot. It's encouraging that they are still described as heroes of the faith or people of faith. Um, We can often say heroes of the faith, but they're often people of faith. Um, Because as we get to know them, as we get to see what went on in their lives in the Old Testament, we see that there are real flaws and real things which God can teach us through them. Um, It encourages us that maybe one day we will be known as people of faith despite the things that we know are flaws in our life, despite the mistakes that we make in our life. But the Bible never draws back and shies away from outlining the consequences of sin and uh, rebellion, as we will see today in the passage we're going to look at in chapter 16. So the story so far, just so that we're up to speed, uh, Abraham has left his home in Ur because God has called him to go into a land which he is going to give him, the promised land. Abraham at that point was responding in faith. He left. He left his family. Even his father, who was a little bit reticent, stayed uh, where he was in, at one point. But no, Abraham goes off and he goes into the land. He's in faith. But yet he then uh, doubts when there's a famine comes on the land. He doubts that God's going to provide for him. He goes off to Egypt where he hasn't been told to go. And uh, things don't go well there. He ends up selling his wife off really, to the Pharaoh, uh, pretending she's his sister. Well, she kind of is his sister as well. She's all a bit weird. Um, but he, he that's what he says. You know, he, he lets Pharaoh take her uh, to be his wife almost. God stops that just before it gets to, too far. And uh, Abraham actually comes out of that with uh, great wealth. Um, but that blessing is not from God. That blessing uh, could cause problems later on. In fact, we see it does cause problems. One of the uh, people, because wealth often included servants uh, as well. One of the people who came back out of Egypt with Abraham was this woman, Hagar, who ends up being a servant, a maidservant to um, his wife, Sarah, Sarai. And we see that actually she's there because, in this story, because of Abraham going into Egypt. But God rescues him. Abraham then has a bit uh, of time where he's back worshipping God. He's looking to God in faith. He rescues Lot uh, from when Lot's been captured. He meets with this guy Melchizedek, uh, who's, a, who's a kind of forerunner to Jesus, this uh, this priest and king Melchizedek that we read about. And uh, But last time we read about him in chapter 15, He's, he's doubting, he's, be, he's beginning to question, you know, God, are you really going to give me this land? Are you really going to give me this child that you promised? Because time is going on. Um, he's had the promises, he's gone out, but time is going on and he's wondering, well, is it really going to happen? He's getting old. 
And uh, that's where we left him last time. He did believe God last time. We read in chapter 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So that's where we left it. But as we've said, Abraham was married to Sarah, Sarai. And for the first time now, we're going to focus and look at how she is doing. And we see that she's not in too great a place with God. Uh, and actually, Abraham at this point isn't really going to help. And it's going to have some pretty big consequences. So let's read uh, the first few verses of Genesis chapter 16. Um, we'll read through from verses 1 right through until, say, um, chapter to, to verse 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. So Sarai ill-treated Hagar. So she fled from her. Okay, we see the situation here in Genesis 16 set out pretty plainly. Sarai, Abram's wife, she's born him no children. Perhaps she's feeling that she's failed in this. Perhaps she's feeling as a wife somehow she's failed to provide an heir for Abraham, a son for them. It's, uh, it's one thing perhaps knowing that God gives life, but she's having to live with the fact that her body's not produced this child over the years. It's not responding the way other women's bodies maybe seem to be. There's all sorts of thoughts could be going through her mind. In fact, before we start getting into judging Sarai and Abraham in this passage, and it's very easy to look at this passage and just go, oh, of course, they. what on earth are they playing at? We need to understand that uh, they're in a very difficult situation and a very painful situation too. Sarai finds herself in a very, very painful situation. I mean, if you just take us here today, we're all at different ages, all at different points in life. But I would imagine if you are, are not married yet, almost all of you who are not married at some point would have a desire to get married. And at some point would have a desire to have children. And if you will have maybe gone through that period if you are married. Uh, maybe some of those desires will have come about and you will have got married or you will have had children. Maybe there's still pain that you're living with right now um, because actually those things haven't happened or it's been difficult at times for those things to happen. Maybe they've come about later on after a long period of waiting. But it's a desire that we all have as human beings because it's a desire that God does give to us. And uh, we need to acknowledge that there are strong feelings involved. Each of those things are good things which come from God. They come from God. But in a sense, that is the key point. James chapter 1, 
and verse 17 says this. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above, is from God. Things that we have in our life, whether it, it may be material blessings, whether it may be uh, family blessings, whether it may be blessings of a wife or a husband, whether it may be blessings of children, they are gifts from God. God gives them us. They're not things that we deserve. They're not things that we can think, actually, we're at liberty to have those. They're not our rights. We live in a culture that is very keen on knowing what their rights are and believing and stating what they believe their rights are. But the Bible is very clear. All these gifts are gifts from God. They are things that God provides. And God gives us himself as the greatest gift of all. We've been singing about it this morning. Just how great is the love of God. He has poured his goodness His love out into our hearts. We receive God first and foremost as the thing which satisfies, the thing which delights us. And God pours out many, many gifts on us as well. But they are gifts that come from the ultimate gift of God himself to us. But it's true that there is real pain in these situations. And Sarai and Abraham were going through real pain and anguish at different times over the years. But Sarai has let her pain turn into anger with God. I guess what she should have done is gone to God in her pain. And maybe she did. Maybe she did at first. Maybe she went to God and wrestled with him and said, oh God, God, I, I, I know you. I know you have your hand on our lives, but I'm struggling with this. I've got this real desire to have children. And actually, God, you've given me that promise. You've promised that for us. You've promised us descendants and we don't see it happening. And God, I don't understand, but God, I trust you in this. And maybe she was there at that point, but not here. Not in chapter 16. That's not where she's at. Now she's clear. She says to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Well, that's true. At that point, the Lord has kept her from having children because children are a gift from God. And God hasn't blessed her with that gift at the time. He's given her a promise. He's given Abraham a promise. There will be a child. There will be descendants. But at that point, the Lord has kept her from having children. But Sarai had decided she wasn't actually wanting to go God's way on this. As she's saying it, there's, there's resentment in her heart. There's potentially anger in her heart. Bitterness. Hurt. God has kept me from this. And she'd had enough of waiting. She'd waited for long enough. Abraham, in chapter 15, had said, how long? How long? And God had repeated to him, you will have this. These promises will come about. The land will come about long after you've died, but you will have a son. There will be offspring. And Abraham's, okay, I'm believing. I'm still holding on. I'm believing. Sarah's saying, no, I've waited long enough. I've waited for long enough. She'd run out of patience. Patience isn't something that our society today is very good at at all. We live in a very much in a me society, don't we? 
It can often be difficult as we're teaching our children, teaching our children that it's good to save up for things, it's good to wait for things, because the children have been brought up in a, in a society which is all the time saying, you can have this now. And we struggle with that ourselves sometimes. We can easily get into a mess in our lives because with the availability of things like credit cards. Oh, great, credit card. You look at your statement. Oh, you've got £10,000 available. Credit. Oh, great, that means I can spend £10,000. It's £10,000 you don't have. But you can spend it. You can get what you want now. If, you don't, if you're not able to get credit cards, you can always go onto websites like uh, wonga.com. And uh, they advertise you can get this money straight away at an APR of 4,214%. But, oh, no, it's all right. We don't have to wait. We get annoyed in, in, even in fast food places. There's lots of fast food places, isn't there? McDonald's. We get, we get annoyed if we're waiting for more than two minutes in McDonald's for a meal. What's going on? I, I was at a football match yesterday. Half time. I thought, oh, I'll go and get a coffee. I, I went in the queue and, uh, I, it took me the whole of half time. I came back. And to be honest, I was, I was saying to the people I was with, I believe it. It's so slow. All of the 15 minutes. Well, that's what half time was for. You know, <laughs> that was the time to get my coffee, but 15 minutes. Oh, I can't believe it. 15 minutes queuing. We, we live in, we're very impatient. We get high speed internet. We need the faster speed. Not eight megabytes a, a, a second or whatever it is, isn't, isn't, isn't fast enough for us. We need the super high speed, um, broadband. We get instant messages now. Facebook and, uh, things that we can communicate instantly with people. Everything in society is telling us that we can have what we want instantly. Everything's faster and faster. But God isn't an instant God. God isn't an instant God. God teaches us patience. Psalm 37 says this. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they'll soon wither. Like green plants, they'll soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. Psalm 37 is saying, don't just look at what other people are doing and how they might be succeeding and what they've got and be jealous of them and say, well, how come they're getting it? You know, how come they're able to do that and I'm not and God's prevented me from doing that? God's saying, be trust in the Lord and wait patiently for him. He will bring about what you've got. But don't start fretting about these things because if you start fretting about these things and it turns to anger and wrath, It's only going to lead to evil. If we lose patience with God, if we start to desire things ourselves, it's only going to lead to evil. And we see mistakes that people make in the Bible where they, where they don't have the patience, where they want to respond to their immediate need, the thing that they're feeling, they need the thing, the the most of all. Genesis 25, we see Esau. 
In verse 29 of Genesis 25, we see Esau coming to Jacob. And uh, Esau is Jacob's twin. And it says in verse 29 of Genesis 25, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. And Jacob sees an opportunity. This guy's desperate. This guy's desperate. He's impatient. First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good's the birthright to me? Jacob said to him, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. God had given something to Esau of great wealth, great precious, a birthright. But he was wanting something else, more important. His body was telling him, no, I've got to eat. I've got to have some of that stew. And it seems extreme, but he says, just give me that stew. I'm going to die. Jacob's going, no, 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 sell me your birthright. Come on. What's it worth? What's it worth? No, I just want the stew. I want the stew. Oh, I'm, I feel so, I'm so weak. I'm, I'm definitely going to die. The birthright's no good anyway. I'll have the stew. He despised what God had given him for some stew. And the consequences went on from there for his life. He didn't accept what God had given him. He wasn't patient. He didn't wait. We can despise our birthright too through lack of patience. Maybe we've come to know God in our lives. Maybe we've been born again. Maybe we've seen at first in our lives that actually nothing compares to God. God is greater than anything else. God is the one, the God who created the heavens and the earth who came down. He comes to know us. He comes and brings forgiveness to us. He brings acceptance to us. He gives us a relationship with him. We get adopted into his family and he says, and you will be with me forever in heaven. We have a birthright. We're born again. And we know that we're securing God and there's a future set out for us. And we know that. But then other things can, can get in the way. We can have a desire for something else in our life. Something else that seems to be greater. Something else that seems to be more pressing. That actually knowing God, that's not important at the moment. What I need is this. What I need is this in my life. And we lose perspective and we can despise what God has already given us. Now obviously we can't say that Sarah was a victim of an instant society. She'd been waiting for many, many years. She was very old. But now, that desire for a child had replaced God at the center of her life. That was the most important thing to her. And there'll come a time, for everyone who knows God, there may come a time when another desire might seek to just challenge our desire for God and replace him as the object of our desire. Something else that just seems more pressing just seems more urgent, just seems as though, oh, do you know, I can't wait for that any longer. And it could well be something which is good. It could well be, it, it may well not be sin to desire this thing. It could well be a husband or a wife. It could well be a child. It could be a job. It could be a home. It could be a desire to 
be recognized within the church. Not necessarily uh, always a good thing, that desire for recognition. But many of the things that we desire could be good. Could be things that God wants to give us. Could be things that God blesses other people with. He may well bless us with. Or he may not because it's a gift from God. But once those things start to take center stage, to become the object of our desire, they'll lead us away from that living relationship with God. God gets pushed to the side of our lives. And suddenly, this other thing becomes the main focus, the main priority. Rachel very helpfully brought us that word from God this morning about seek first the kingdom of God. That's what God's wanting to do this morning. Just redirect our focus. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him first. Desire God first. Otherwise, if we start desiring something else first other than God, our hearts can harden. We might become angry with God as Sarah did. And we might decide we're going to take things into our own hands like Sarah did. If God won't give us what we desire, then we can go out and get it. And when we're in that place, it's great danger. Great danger. God is offering us everything that we desire deep in our hearts. And yet we can easily think, well, we can find this pleasure elsewhere. Sarai had lost perspective. She'd come up with another plan. Another plan which might solve her problem of childlessness. And this was the plan. She says, go to Abraham, go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Go, Abraham, go and sleep with my maidservant, my Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. And perhaps she will get pregnant. And then the child can come and be mine. And I can build a family through her. Now, to us, we might just think, what is she thinking? What sort of, what sort of thinking is that? Go and, go and sleep with someone else. It sounds like she's lost all sense of rational thinking. But actually, for Abraham and Sarai, there were two culturally accepted ways at the time that they could have had children if they couldn't have children themselves. One of those ways was adoption. And it seems as though actually they may have even done that. There's a reference there in uh, Genesis 15 verse 2 where Abraham says, O sovereign Lord, I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Perhaps Abraham had adopted Eliezer of Damascus and he was going to be the one who potentially could have inherited uh, Abraham's estate. But the other potential way that they could have sort of done something about this childlessness is actually exactly what Sarai is suggesting. The practice of sleeping with a woman's, uh, of a woman's husband sleeping with her maid was actually a long accepted practice in Near Eastern cultures. And the baby would have counted as the, um, the mistress's baby. So because it was her servant, her servant, she's working for her, it can be her baby. So what Sarai was saying was a culturally acceptable thing. Other people would have done it. But that's not the issue. The issue wasn't whether it was legal or not. The issue wasn't, actually, is this a way in society that we can, we can get this about? We can get this to happen. The issue was, is this what God wanted? Is this what God 
was wanting them to do. God hadn't told them to do that. Just because something is legal in the cult, in the country, just because something is culturally acceptable doesn't mean that it's what God wants us to do. Sarah knew what God had promised. But Sarah just wanted to help God along a bit, to speed the process up. Now, Abraham should have seen that that wasn't what God's plan was. Because Abraham was the one who'd, who'd been speaking to God just before this. He'd heard from God, I'm, I'm reiterating my promises to you, Abraham. He believed God. And Abraham was the one who God had put in, in as the head of that relationship over uh, Sarai, in the same way that Adam was put in as the head of the relationship over Eve. Yet the same pattern that happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is happening here with Abraham and Sarai. Just as Eve was tempted and comes to Adam with the fruit and says, try this, go along with this, and Adam passively goes along with it, so too Sarai comes up with a plan here. And Abraham passively goes along with it. God puts husbands and wives together to strengthen and encourage each other. But it's often not a good idea just for a husband and wife to agree together with something if, the, if one of them is struggling in faith. Sarah was struggling in her relationship with God. I'm, I'm angry with God. He's kept me from having children. I, I'm going to do it this way. We're going to try it this way, Abraham. Come on. She'll have been pretty strong about it. But at this point, Abraham needs to say, no. No, that's not what God is wanting. No, we're going to trust in God. We're going to believe in God. He needs to encourage her, strengthen her in her faith, but he doesn't. Oh, yeah, okay. That's fine. Abraham agreed to what Sarai was doing. There's a temptation there sometimes for men to just be passive, to just go along with ideas that in their heart of hearts they know aren't right. I'm not sure about this, but you know, Life's just too, life's just too difficult. Yeah, my, my wife has been so strong about this. It doesn't always have to be husband and wife that way, but it often could be. Oh, let's just go along with it. Actually, no. Husband and wife sometimes strengthen each other. Sometimes the man's like that. Sometimes the man is struggling with something and the wife can just go, oh yeah, I agree. Oh yeah. You're being hard treated by. You're being hard done by. Actually, God may be doing something that the wife needs to say, do you know what? I think there might be something in this. I think God might be doing something in this. It's not what the husband will want to hear. But it can be helpful. Sarah I wouldn't have wanted to hear Abraham saying no, but he should have said no. Because what's happened here is Abraham and Sarah's their desire for God has been overtaken by other desires and they've given in to them. For Sarai, it was the desire to have a child. I would imagine as well, seeing as Abraham was a man, there's going to be a great a temptation here for Abraham too. Not necessarily just about having a child. His wife saying, here's my Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. She's young. She'll be able to have a child. Now Abraham's an old man. And his wife's saying, just go, why don't you go and sleep with Hagar? There's a temptation there for Abraham, isn't there? He's going to think, well, okay. <laughs> If you want, dear. <laughs> he shouldn't have done it. 
A temptation there. His wife is giving him permission. You know, he could have thought, hmm, win-win. If we get a child, great. If we don't, oh well, never mind. He shouldn't have gone there. There's temptation. Just prior to this passage that we read in James about every good gift coming from God, in James chapter 1, it says this. Let's read from verse 14. Let's read from verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt everyone, anyone. But each one is tempted by his, when his own, when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. That's what was happening there. There was an evil desire. There was a desire which was coming from themselves. Okay, which might be a, a good thing to desire for Sarai, a, a baby, a child. Abraham, if he was tempted in this way by Hagar, to, uh, that wasn't a good desire, but he was uh, tempted by his own evil desire. He's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Then it says every good and perfect gift is from above. We can get tempted. We can get deceived. We can think this is acceptable. Abraham could have been thinking, this is acceptable, this is okay. That's what other people do in this culture. If they can't have children, then, yeah, it's fine. Maid servant, no problem at all. I'll help my wife out. And no one's going to think badly of me, because that's what's done in society. But no, he's enticed, he's deceived. They go into something, it can give birth to death. So Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Desire conceives, is conceived, and Hagar conceives too. But it's going to have disastrous consequences. It looks like Sarah's plan has worked, doesn't it? She has succeeded where God failed. All of those years with Abraham, and she's not been able to give birth, but suddenly Abraham goes, and suddenly it looks as though the plan has worked. But God wasn't in it. Success doesn't mean that that was what God wanted. Success doesn't indicate God's will in something. How many times do we hear people say when they're thinking about something in their life, well, you know, I'm going to go for this. I don't know if it's God or not, uh, you know, but I'm going to go for it. And if it works out, I'll know that it is God. If I, you know, I don't know if I should go for this job, but I'm going to go for it. And if I get the job, I'll know, I'll know God wanted me to have it. That's not a biblical line of thinking. There are many things that God allows to happen. God could have prevented that happening, couldn't he? God had prevented Sarah from conceiving all those years. God could have prevented Hagar from conceiving, but he didn't. That didn't mean that that was what God wanted to happen in his plan for Abraham and Sarah. Obviously, it's part of God's overarching uh, plan, and, and things work out from it. But in that circumstance, that wasn't what God wanted for Abraham and Sarah. God doesn't stop things happening. He will often let, he'll often let situations develop. And it may be after we go after something and we get it, that we realize the mistake we've made and the consequences that are going to be reaped from that. 
as Abraham and Sarah realize the consequences of that action later on. We might have that too. God might let us do it. It's, if, he, if God prevents it, it's God's grace if he does. But if he, if he lets us go for it, then there will be consequences. C.S. Lewis said, there are only two kind of people, only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those who, to whom God says, thy will be done. People who say to God, God, I want your will. And other people who God says, okay, you don't want my will, but you can have what you want. And if people say to God, and the biggest thing that people can say to God is, God, I don't want you in my life. God, I don't want you in my life. I want to live life my own way. I don't want to know anything about you, God. And God will eventually say to them, okay, that's what you will have for eternity. Thy will be done. And God could say, yeah, okay, your will be done as well. We can go after things in our lives which we think are going to bring about fulfillment. And in the end, we'll actually receive the fruit of our own ways. Either because we weren't able to get it or because we did achieve it. But all too late, we realize that what we thought it would deliver isn't going to. Things start going wrong for Sarai as soon as Hagar finds out she is pregnant. Somehow now, she has got pregnant and she knows that she's got something that Sarai has always wanted. She's carrying Abraham's child. That's what Sarai's always wanted to do. Hagar now, she was a servant, but now she's got a position of power. She's in a position of power over Sarai. And she starts to despise Sarai. And she probably starts to taunt her. She probably starts to, oh, Abraham, Abraham, just come and give me a, just come and give me a shoulder massage. You know, my back's really hurting. Come on, Abraham. Oh, do you want to feel the baby kicking? Starts to just play Abraham off against Sarah, maybe. Get him on, him on side. Abraham, he's got a child. He's, he's probably thinking, oh, great. He's all into it. Suddenly, he's, he's, he's more interested in, in Hagar than he is in, in, in Sarai. Sarai's starting to feel, well, what's going on here? This isn't what I wanted. Sarah's thinking, why isn't he putting him, Hagar in her place? She's not happy with how things are panning out. So she goes to Abraham in verse 5 and she says, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms. Now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. <laughs> she goes to him and says, Abraham, it's all your fault. Now hang on, whose idea was this in the first place? <laughs> it was Sarah's idea. But she's saying, now it's all your fault, Abraham. There's something else that often plays out, isn't it, in marriages. <laughs> Someone comes up with an idea, and then it all goes pear-shaped, and then they say to them, well, it's your fault anyway. You shouldn't have done it. That's exactly what Sarah's thinking here. It's all your fault. Abraham doesn't actually help here. He's not got any better. He's still playing the passive role. And he says, uh, your servant's in your hands. Do whatever, do with her whatever you think's best. Abraham's going, she's your servant. Do, you do with her what you want. It's nothing to do with me. He's not taking a lead here. He's, he's, he's abdicating any responsibility. It's not a good thing for a husband to do. 
And what does Sarai do? She starts to ill-treat Hagar. She starts to bully her. She starts to beat on her. In fact, the word, and oppress her, the same word actually is used uh, as is used when referring to Egyptian slave masters later on in, uh, in Exodus. She starts to really oppress her. Hagar is fearing for her life at this point, probably. And so she flees. She runs away. Pregnant woman, on her own, running. And we'll follow Hagar's story next time. We'll pick up on Hagar's story. But things have panned out pretty badly. Let's just note, though, that there are even greater consequences to Sarai and Abraham's sin here. And we'll just see in uh, a little bit later on, the, there's an angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and speaks to her and says, you're going to have a child, you're going to name him Ishmael. And it says this in verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. This child is going to be born, but there's going to be hostility, anger, enmity, enmity against others, against his brothers. And actually, the descendants of Ishmael have often lived in hostility towards the descendants of Isaac ever since. You just look through world history. There's There's hostility between these descendants ever since. The consequences of Abraham's sin and Sarai's sin pan out through world history. Because they didn't stick to what God's plan for their life was. They thought they knew best. They'd had enough of waiting. They were tempted. Their desire for something other than God took precedent. God is our loving heavenly father he does have plans for our life jeremiah jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future god has got plans for us God has got plans for us in our life, plans that will prosper us, plans that aren't meant to harm us, plans that aren't for our, uh, you know, to, to be nasty to us or be vindictive to us. These plans are to give us a hope. These plans are to give us a future. And sometimes we don't know what those plans are going to be. And sometimes God gives us a glimpse of what those plans are. Sometimes he lets us know, like he let Abraham and Sarai know. He promises something. And we hold on to those promises and it can be difficult because sometimes those promises take a long time to pan out. But whatever those promises are, whatever those things are that God has got for us, which will bless us, we must never allow those things to become the main object of our desire. However good they are, however much we desire them, God is working through his plan for our life. And he must always remain at the center, must always remain at the center. Psalm 16 and verse 11 in the ESV says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. God makes known to us the path of life to us. And in his presence there is fullness of joy. It's in knowing God that we find the greatest joy of all. 
at his right hand pleasures evermore. In the end, we'll be waiting patiently for the pleasures that are greater than any pleasures there could ever be, knowing God, being with him for eternity. That's a pleasure worth waiting for. And until then, we experience God day by day, week by week. He's got so much to give us. He's got so much that will fulfill us. And and many blessings besides. And his promises will come about. And we will know him forever. But let's keep him at the center. Otherwise, our hearts will start to harden like Sarah's did. Otherwise, we'll grow cold in our love for God. We'll start to just hanker and look and seek after those other things. Why hasn't God given me those things? I'll go and get them some other way. I'm going to go after that that relationship. You know, I've, I've waited long enough for a husband. And now there's someone who's showing interest in me. And, you know, people are saying, my, you know, others, who, other friends at work and things like that, they're saying to me, why don't you go for it? I'm thinking, well, you know, would it be that bad? I'm going to go after that. We get pulled away. Because it's not what God wants. God says no. In me there are pleasures evermore. Don't let your hearts grow cold. Don't let your hearts harden towards me. In Revelation chapter 3, we see God speaking to the church in Philadelphia. Sorry, in Laodicea. The Laodicean church. And he says... I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. So I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. We don't want to be someone who grows cold. We don't want to be people who lose our passion for God. And God comes to that church and he says in verse 20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. The church there, they'd just got lukewarm. They'd just lost their passion for God. Their desires will have been on other things. Yeah, they might have been coming to meet together. They might have been singing songs. They might have been part of the church still. But their passion for God, it had waned. Maybe because they just had to wait for a while. Maybe because they were thinking, where is God in this situation? They'd allowed other pleasures to come in, other temptations, other desires. Their passion for God had been allowed to die. And Jesus says, do you know you're lukewarm? But he graciously comes to them and he says, but I'm here. I'm here, I'm standing, I'm knocking. Just let me back in. Just let me back into the center of your lives. Just come back and see me as your focus. Actually, if you do, if you open the door, I'll come in. I'll meet with you, I'll eat with you, I'll dwell with you. We can enjoy relationship together again. Maybe today there are people here And there's just been real things that we've been struggling with. Like Sarai, like Abraham. 
genuine things. Oh, genuine pain. Maybe some of the things we've touched on. Maybe for some of us, there's genuine pain and anguish, even in, in terms of the church. Why, why have we not come into some of these things? God's given us these promises and we've not seen them yet. Why is that? Maybe our, our passion for God has been allowed to just grow cold. Maybe we just think, well, you know, we'll come along. We'll come along. We'll meet with the people. There's nowhere else to go, really. I don't know where else to go, but my pa- something's died. Something's grown cold. Something's just got a bit lukewarm. And God's wanting to say to us again this morning, no, no, I, my desire is for you. My desire is to meet with you. My desire is to come back into your life again. And in me, you will find pleasure. In me, you will find fulfillment. In me, you will find acceptance and love and relationship and so much more that I want to give you. And I may well bless you with these other things as well. But you know, they're secondary to the blessing that is knowing God. The pleasure that is knowing God. There may be others here today and, they, and they're just thinking, you know, I've been looking for things to fulfill me in my life. I've been looking all over. And you've come here wondering, is, has God got anything to say? And to you, God is saying, yes. I want to meet with you. I want to know you too. In the same way as I'm knocking on the door of the church and saying, let me in. Actually, I can come into your life too. I can know you. I can meet with you. You will know greatest pleasure that you have ever known. You will know forgiveness. You will know acceptance. You will know mercy and grace. God's here this morning. So let's pray. Let's come to him.